It is great to be back, Jonathan, for episode two of this Advent Christmas Epiphany season. Agreed. It is great. Well, I'm just going to jump right into it. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to be in a very public, messy breakup, but you're not really that attached to the person? Or would you rather be in a, like a private relationship breakdown, but it was with someone who like you really cared about? Not necessarily romantic, but just like... Holy crap. (laughs) But just like, you know, somebody that you care about. And for whatever reason, your relationships deteriorated. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the first option feels annoying in some ways, like, or maybe stressful. Um, The second one feels devastating. So I'm going to go with annoyed and stressed (laughs) and go with... The public breakup with someone I don't really care about. <laughs> You're going to choose to be you and not Pete Davidson? I respect that. What? <laughs> You're going to choose to, to still like be yourself? Sure. Not Pete Davidson? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean that Pete Davidson didn't care about those people, but that he broke up with publicly. Didn't he get dumped? Or maybe they're breaking up him. I don't know. Did, didn't, didn't they finally come to their senses? Or like, <laughs> sorry, Pete Davidson, you deserve better. He does, yeah. He deserves to go through it, like you said, in a, in a private way, even if it's even if it's hard. Some some things like that are better private. I'm gonna go with you with what you said. There we go. Agreeing once again. Well, let's see if this question is in any way related to our reading. How about you take us away, Jonathan? You got it. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 from the Common English Bible. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. But as he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. Thanks for reading that for us, Jonathan. What stuck out to you? It's really interesting to me, and I think one of the biggest distinctions between 
Matthew and Luke's accounts of Jesus's birth stories. I mean, there are several significant ones. In Luke, Mary feels more like a character who has some agency in the story. In this reading, she feels like a character that the story's happening to. Joseph has this this whole back and forth in his own head about what he's going to do to dump this girl that he likes. <laughs> I certainly have experienced both first and second hand the God told told me to break up with you kind of uh, <laughs> kind of excuse for ending a relationship. Uh, and this is the this opposite. This is the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I wanted... I wanted to dump you, but God told me not to. And so now we're married. <laughs> and it's also kind of striking to me at the very end, it's Joseph who names Jesus. Which doesn't seem consistent with some other understandings that I have of the story. But that's kind of beside the point. This is it kind of it kind of punctuates that idea though that I was talking about of Mary just almost being like a bystander in this story that's so, in this telling of it at least, that so dramatically affects her. Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. I mean, even the, even just the language. When Mary, his mother, that talking about Jesus, was engaged to Joseph, like, she, even that doesn't read with any agency. She, you know, like... It's, it's already happened. That's in the past. And it, her name appears not that many times in our passage for being Jesus' mother. Yeah. Like, it comes up just a couple times. But yeah, it doesn't seem like she, A, has that much agency, or B, is really, like, a main character, at least in this part of the story. And just like you noted, it's interesting especially to think about the way that Luke and Matthew tell this story in a, in a different way and emphasize different people on different parts. Here's a question for you. Okay. When you read Emmanuel means God with us, what made you read it in that way? You, you were all in on that line. Mm. I was like wondering what, what went on in your head. If I can be really honest, this line is so central to my theology. It's probably one of the reasons that I'm still a Christian. <laughs> like one of the significant ones is this idea that it's not just this baby named Jesus, or if you, you know, transliterate his name to English today, it's not this this baby named Josh isn't important. It's that God and the ultimate act of empathy and compassion and connectedness gave up what made God God and at the same time gained everything that makes God God. Hmm. <laughs> like this, this deep knowledge and understanding of what it means to be human, I think is so deeply entwined with God's character. There's just a connectedness there. It's not God over us. 
it's not God far away from us. It's not God beneath us either. It's God with us. So yeah, I felt a little pressure to read that line correctly. Our listeners probably won't hear the the first take that got cut out, but <laughs> I I felt that I felt compelled to go back to it and do it again. Well, I appreciated all of the effort you put into it because I think of that line too in a way that's like really central to my understanding about God. So thank you for doing that. And I also wondered, this is kind of when we're, when I'm, how I'm thinking about making the move to Christian nationalism. If part of the allure of Christian nationalism is that it says, Hey, other people are with me and God seems to be with me in this too. Like, I just wonder if in some ways our Christian nationalism isn't a response to being lonely Mm. and disconnected and searching for people that we can connect with. And Christian nationalism seems to offer that and it seems to offer something that you can connect with someone like about, right? Like yeah. it's like a it's something you have in common that you can connect with. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the most powerful movements of all time. I say powerful not with any sort of moral weight, but <laughs> most significant movements of all time have pulled upon people in I'd say desperate situations. You know, personally, emotionally, financially, that is when we are most vulnerable to being manipulated and that that happens all the time that's not a uniquely christian nationalist phenomenon and i think one of the things that you you you're right on the edge of it but i think is worth saying too is is movements like this don't just give you other people or a god that you create that's in your corner it also gives you someone to fight against the common enemy, to use language that's often used when describing conflicts that we justify. But it is, it's unifying, it's powerful, it's binding to have a clear and tangible enemy. And so hearing that God is with us, maybe you, you pointed out that I emphasize the word with, I'm wondering if Christian nationalism emphasizes the us the most mm. in their reading of Emmanuel. Yeah. God's with us, not with you. God's with us, not with them. Yeah, I think you might be on to something there. I even wonder if the God part like isn't even disemphasized. Isn't I don't know. Not, yeah. I even wonder if the God part isn't skirted. Like it's there, but it's there because that's what connects the us. Right? And I just wonder if the us doesn't have primacy, just like you were saying. And then in some way God becomes a means 
by which us can be bound together. And like, it's not ultimately about God at all. It's ultimately about us. And God becomes, like a, again, like a tool to do that. Yeah. Yeah, some language we used in our last episode that's coming to mind is that, you know, God becomes the seal of approval. Yeah. You know, yeah. people using power, using position, using authority with a stamp of approval of some kind that people for... Because they have no reason to doubt what has been told to them. They don't. If God wants it to be this way, as is told to me by this person or this group of people, then that must be what it is. And again, also, this feels so dangerous because it's so close to the truth. You know, we're not 180 degrees off here, but the few degrees that we're missing have devastating consequences. Because our community is valuable god is what binds us together in community the divine in us is what binds us together in community if we're allowing that connection to serve as a seal of approval for whatever we want to pursue in terms of hating and demonizing and dehumanizing others rather than allowing that connection that bindedness (laughs) to transform us and our communities mm-hmm. we can be convinced that anything is god's will i wonder if a really localized example of this is what we were talking about earlier when like two people are gonna break up and one person is like well you know god god told me to do it or god told me we're not you know made for one another like if it just kind of like excuses one person from explaining to the other like why it isn't working out Mm. but in doing so that also like prevents that person from a like really understanding what went wrong and b like i think it makes it harder but not impossible to learn and grow from like that whole relationship and the breakup so i just wonder like in a large scale if the same thing isn't happening and even when people do the opposite when they're like oh god told me you know we're supposed to get married right like my question was like okay you know why but that's like a great way to try and skirt all of that, right? Exactly. And that becomes, it becomes a a good skirter, so to speak. <laughs> but it becomes a good skirter of any challenges, any questions, yeah. any yeah. alternate perspectives. It just sets it up to be like, oh, well, if you don't agree with me, you're disagreeing with God. Oh, there's an interesting overlap there. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) This story is astonishing. I'm just coming back to the text for a second. Because in in the midst of what is a very real... I don't know. 
the word that comes to me is conundrum. It's probably more than that. <laughs> Joseph and Mary trying to be good people, trying to do what is expected of them in their community. Joseph's described as a righteous man in the decision that he makes. Mary is described as truly blessed elsewhere. Like, these are people who get what it means to follow God, and they're in this situation that feels very real and personal to them, and yet it's also so real and personal to all of us. Because it's through this struggle that Christ came into the world, and through this struggle that we can be free. And when we, when we wrestle with language, like, what does it mean that God is with us? I think it's easy to say that it means that God is on our side. And, and sure, I, you could make a good argument that that's true. But if you do, you have to answer the question, who's on the other side? <laughs> and as much as I want to believe that God's on my side, I think there are a lot of times I'm on the other side too. Maybe one foot straddling the line. <laughs> maybe firmly planted on the other side. But if this story tells us anything, the ones who God decides to be with first are the ones who are soaked in scandal, <laughs> who don't have the resources to find a place to stay that gives them room apart from the animals to give birth <laughs> to their child. I don't know if with and being on our side are good comparisons, but it seems to be the connection that people often make. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I think sometimes that people are eager to make that connection because it can be more advantageous to them politically mm. than it is to say that God is accompanying you in the deepest darkest distress that doesn't really win you many political points saying that yeah it seems like what can be so helpful about that little line god with us summed up in the name emmanuel is that it can be an antidote to this christian nationalism we've been speaking against because on one hand we see it just like we were saying we see it as a god who's on our side but on the other hand we see a god who's with the hurting and the hungry the homeless people who need help it seems like what's important is how we define us Mm, yeah and if we see God as not on our side, that's more about our understanding of us than it is about our understanding of God. Because soon as we can see the marginalized, as soon as we can see the poor, as you like to say, the last, lost, least, and left behind, as soon as we see them as not us, I think we're missing out on a whole lot. Yeah, me too.
I'm even wondering, like we've talked so much about how important width is. Now we're here talking about how important us is, right? Defining it mm-hmm. largely. Like, I just wonder if the challenge isn't to hold all three of those words, right? To hold God and to hold with and to hold us and not to, you know, not to let one rule over the other. Like, I can kind of think of movements. Maybe I should say I can kind of think of individual churches that are strong on like one of those, maybe two. But like the, the enduring challenge is to, is to not pick one, but to hold all of them. Yeah, because it's really easy for those misunderstandings and incomplete definitions to lead us to the path of believing that our understanding is the way things must be by force, by violence. It's not, it's not a long journey from misrepresenting God with us to being fully in the throes of Christian nationalism. And if we are unwilling to recognize the marginalized in and among us, we are going to continue to miss out on, to go back to last week one more time, on the surprises that God may have in store for us. Mm -hmm. This might be a short one but Christmas is coming so people I would think are getting a little busy so what do you think about ending with a prayer that sounds perfect gracious God you are God with us but not just in Bethlehem and not just in church sanctuaries And not just when we sit to pray, but you are God with us today, tomorrow. Help us to know that you are present with us, but also help us to know who else you are present with. Help us not to define us too narrowly, to help us to define us as large as you do. I pray this in the name of the one who goes by Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Thanks everyone for continuing with us on this Advent journey towards Christmas, which is when we'll join you next time. We're going to take a look then at a similar story from Luke chapter 2 and hear more about Jesus' birth. But until then, thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. The second to last line feels so abrupt. He did not have sexual relations. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Right? Isn't that what it's like? (laughs) That's what it feels like. Yeah, the the Common English Bible uh, feels a little... A little diplomatic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a good word for the common English Bible and President Bill Clinton. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
moving on. <laughs>